God before us, God beside us, God behind us, God above us. Be also now between us, a bridge through which your truth may move. In the name of the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. What wakes you up at night? <laughs> some, some, some laughs over here in the choir stall. I once heard this question asked in a man who looked to be probably mid-60s or so. Looked up and he said, my need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> which was funny 10 years ago. It's not so funny <laughs> anymore. All right, so we've, so we've got that, right? We've established some of those things. But what really wakes you up at night? Because every one of us has something, right? At one time or another in our life, in a season of life maybe, something that's affecting us, something that is filling us with a certain amount of fear, a certain amount of anxiety. And it doesn't matter how old you are. I guarantee you there are some young people in here that are thinking, well, that's for my parents. That's not for me. And yet I have vivid memories of tests that I had the next day that would wake me up like a shot in the night where I was going to go to school. Maybe it's that you don't know if you're going to be able to make payroll next week. Maybe it's a difficult relationship. Maybe it's a child who's gone off the rails. Whatever it is, there is something that wakes you up like a shot in the dark. Maybe it's Advent and Christmas. This whole season, right? This house that has to be decorated perfectly, mothers, mother-in-laws, fathers, father-in-laws who are coming into town today maybe, and you're thinking, I got to get out of here. I got, I got stuff I got to do, right? I got, I got a mother who's coming into town and she's going to pull out the white glove test. And there's a certain amount of anxiety that comes with all of that. It's natural, right? It, it happens. But there's something, a hunger maybe, a want for stability, for love, to be free from fear. And I talk about fear a lot. Um, you're going to hear me preach about fear a lot. I say it at the end of our blessing after the Eucharist. Why is he always talking about fear? Because I will tell you that fear is one thing that we all share in common. And I don't care what kind of bravado you want to put on it, what kind of facade you are holding out for the rest of the world to see. At some point in your life, you have fear. Fear maybe that you're not enough. Fear that what you're doing is not enough. Fear that someone that you love isn't going to be there anymore. Or fear that now that they're gone, I don't know what I'm going to do. Or fear that this is the first holiday since someone that you loved isn't going to be at the table anymore and you don't know how you're going to be able to get through it. And in the world today, it's easy to be fearful 
But as Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. And let me disabuse you of the idea that today is worse than it was a hundred years ago or five hundred years ago or a thousand years ago. It's not. There have always been kings that were doing things that we didn't agree with or there have always been people in our lives that were doing things that caused us fear. There have been wars and rumors of wars since the beginning of time. It's what we share in common. It's why the words of Scripture still speak to us today. That when you peel back the onion, as Shrek said, right? When you peel back that onion, at the same point, at some point, we're all the same. And I could plunk you down in the middle of the first century. And at first, it'd look a little different, but eventually, you'd hear a son back talking his mother. And you'd see a couple getting into a fight. And maybe there's a bar brawl as you walk by a place. It's the same. That's why they're living words. What wakes you up at night, Mr. Scrooge? A few years ago, I went to see a Christmas carol at Alabama Shakespeare, Shakespeare Festival. It was an excellent show. But we all know the story, right? We see it whether we're watching the Muppet version or ASF's version. Mr. Scrooge is awakened at night, first by his former partner, Mr. Marley, and then by three other ghosts, past, present, and future. And we know about Scrooge. He's a man who spent his entire life hoarding his money and hoarding his feelings. He has no real relationship with anybody in his life, and he puts on this front of being a crusty old curmudgeon. Having everything he needs, I don't need anything else, thank you very much. And you don't need anything else, thank you very much. I expect you to be at work. I don't expect you to need anything, all of the things that go into making Scrooge who Scrooge was. A total inability to accept love or to give it. And I will hold out to you, Scrooge was a man who lived in abject fear. Absolute and utter fear of not being enough, of not having enough. His father, we learn, was sent to debtor's prison when he was very young, and he said, save your pennies so this won't happen to you. And he took him seriously, and it was a life obsessed with it. So when his, his uh, partner, Mr. Marley, woke him up that night, he was paralyzed with fear, and he talked about it, right? That, that this... The, the things we hoard in this life, whether they're feelings, whether it's money, whatever it is, time, they will form a chain, link by link, that you will carry through eternity and it will weigh you down. And Scrooge had it, link by link. It weighed him down. It restricted him. But it wasn't just not having enough that woke Scrooge up. Because I think that at our core, our DNA says we need relationship, we need love, we need to be with others. And I think what woke Scrooge up that night, and probably, if truth be told, if we were to look at his life on some random Tuesday in August, that what would wake him up then as well was this inability to show or to be, to accept love. The need for relationship. He couldn't accept it and he couldn't give it. 
But what changed Scrooge this night as he looked at vignettes from his life, past, present, and future, wasn't the fear that he would end up forgotten. You think a man like Scrooge was really going to be changed by that? I mean, that's just cajoling somebody, isn't it? What changed Scrooge was grace, was the one-way gift of love, and it's the key to every relationship. It's the whole nut, y'all. It's giving somebody unmerited favor. Don't you remember when his nephew was at the party and everybody was piling on? Oh, Scrooge, your uncle, rah, rah, rah. You know, he's a terrible guy. And it would have been so easy for him to jump on. Yeah, you're right. Woe is me. My family. Ah, that's we all got them, don't we? But they didn't do that. He's not so bad. Started looking for his good qualities. And then when he went to Mr. Cratchit, the underpaid clerk whose son was ill, and his whole family was piling on, Scrooge, I can't believe he does this, and I can't believe he does that. And Mr. Cratchit said, no, 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 no. You don't understand. And those, those moments of unexpected, undeserved grace and love ultimately changed Scrooge's heart. It changes all of our hearts. But the one thing that you won't see in any of the movies, it's in the play, if you read it. He notices when he gets to Christmas present, as he's getting older, he notices a claw or a foot under his robe. And he says, what's that? It looks like a claw. And he undoes his, his robe and he sees these two children huddling there, frightened, holding on to Christmas present. And this is what it said. There were a boy and a girl, yellow, meager, ragged, scowling, wolfish, but prostrate too in their humility, where graceful youth should have filled their features out and touched them with its freshest tints. A stale and shriveled hand like that of age had pinched and twisted them and pulled them into shreds. Where angels might have sat enthroned, devils lurked and glared out menacing, no change, no degradation, no perversion of humanity in any grade through all the mysteries of wonderful creation has monsters half so horrible dread. And Scrooge was going to say, oh, they're really not that bad, lovely children, you know, but he choked on the words. They couldn't come out because they were so untruthful. It was such a lie. They are man's, said the spirit, looking down upon them, and they cling to me, appealing from their fathers. The boy is ignorance, the girl is want. Beware them both and all of their degree, but most of all beware this boy. For on his brow I see that written which is doom, unless the writing be erased. Deny it. And Scrooge asks about their welfare. And then the ghost mockingly, mocking Scrooge with his own words from earlier in the play, says, are there no prisons? Are there no workhouses? And the clock strikes 12. And we know the rest of the story, don't we? Scrooge accepts love, and once he accepts it, he's able to give it. And it's in that order. I see so many people running around trying to do for others 
in, in gifts of love, and yet they've never accepted it themselves. You can't give away something you don't have. Scrooge faced doom link by link, but that ignorance is erased through grace, and he is changed, and it is never too late to change. So what does that have to do with Mary? What does that have to do with us? You just spent a whole sermon talking about Scrooge. Well, let's talk about Mary. It's never too late to change for her either, is it? To look at now and tomorrow and to say yes. Because we all have that question that is posed to us this day, just like it was posed to Mary. Is it going to be a yes or is it going to be a no? Mary has to be huddled in fear. We've talked about it now for three weeks. A teenager, young teenager, pregnant, not married, could be stoned by her family or her community, and the angel Gabriel appears to her with this announcement that she would conceive and bear a son. And after a moment of questioning and doubt, her response was resolute. Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And this yes to God took Mary on a journey to the manger. But following the singing and the visiting royalty and the gifts, the journey continued and it wasn't always beautiful. It wasn't always easy. It was hard. But it was one filled with joy as well. I've heard Jim Wallace talk about this, that Mary could have said no. You know, we think of it as, oh, this is this divine yes. She had the right to say no. They, they said that, it, you know, that you picture the heavenly host kind of waiting there, you know, instead of the kick is up and it's good. It's what's she going to say? Is it going to be yes or no? And so when she said yes, it just erupted into this heavenly chorus. But Jim Wallace says that you can almost hear her trying to convince herself because it was her steps into that life that convinced her to be God's. That it wasn't always so sure. So you can, you can just picture it, listen to it. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. Almost trying to convince herself. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Starting out softly, for he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. This is going to be okay. It is hard. I am a teenager. I am not married. I am now pregnant. Oh my goodness. From this day all generations will call me blessed. The Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and then it gets stronger. As she remembers what God has done for his people throughout life, as she is told what God has done for her cousin, as she is told what God has done for people throughout all of history, he has mercy on those who fear him in every generation. He has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in their conceit. He has cast down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up the lowly, lowly like me, lowly in this forgotten town, lowly in this forgotten place in the backwaters of the Roman Empire, lowly one who is a child forgotten. And now this, he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. What will we do on this journey? He has come to the help of his servant Israel, for he has remembered his promise of mercy, the promise he made to our fathers, to Abraham and his children forever. And there were some parts that I'm sure Mary would have avoided, 
but her feet with God help, God's help carried her through. And she gave birth to salvation on Christmas, but she continued to give birth to that idea, to that faith each and every day of her life, even after she watched her son die. She walked into tomorrow knowing that God was waiting there for her. Well, that's a nice little story. And it's a nice one we can tell our children every December. Beautiful scenes, you know, decorations and lights. But that's not what the incarnation is about. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Emmanuel, God is with us. You see, the baby in the manger grew up. The baby in the manger died and rose again so that we may live as if death were no more. It puts hands and feet on our faith. And Mary allows Christ to be born in that manger, but also through her life every day. The angel Gabriel appears to us, to each and every one of us this day. Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. And the Lord is not with you because your house is perfectly decorated. And the Lord is not with you because you have some special talent. The Lord is not with you because you are successful or because you have a great marriage or because you don't have a great marriage or because your kids are wonderful or because they're not wonderful. That's not why you're favored. You are favored because you are wonderfully made. God takes nothing and has always taken nothing and done something with it. He specializes in that. He takes the lowly and he lifts them up. That's what Mary remembered and that's what we have to remember this day. Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. And the angel asks each and every one of us to make a home for Christ that we might bear love and peace and justice in a world and be that fount of hope each and every day, even in the midst of the bombs that are going off in our life. Because there are bombs that are going off, and if there aren't, there will be. You will have a reversal. Something bad will happen to you. But he lifts up the lowly. He scatters the proud in their conceit. His arm of strength is with us. Can you hear yourself saying it stronger every step of the way into that unknown future of tomorrow? So what do we have for Jesus this Christmas under the tree? If there's one thing I want you to take away today, it is this. It is never too late to change. It is never too late to say yes. It is never too late to be the bearer of light in a world that is filled with darkness. To turn to God, even in the midst of those bombs, even in the midst of this bundle of anxiety that I think we all are at the heart of it. To offer up the fear and to walk into tomorrow knowing that Christ is born. That's the incarnation. That's the hope that we all have. That's the yes that we join with Mary today and say, yes, 
I will walk into tomorrow and I am scared. And I am fearful that I don't know how I'm going to do it. But I know you're there. And I know you're walking with me. And we are changed by accepting that. Each and every one of us are changed by that. And we seek to begin with that. Not with judgment, but with love. And that violates our sense of justice, I know. Because I want to deserve it. But I don't. But I get it anyway. What wakes you up at night? I can't answer that for you. I can answer it for me. But what I can tell all of us today is that in the midst of the darkness of that bleak midwinter, a light has broken in. And it is never too late to turn toward that light and accept the love given and bear witness to it in our lives. What a blessing. God bless us. Every one. Amen. Amen.